0: These first four are not judging directly upon to be persons in rebellion against God, but are rather upon creation, as it is, calling creation to rebel against the rebels, calling creation to stand up against those who are who are turning away and rebelling against God. First begins in verse 7. The first angel blew Jewish trumpet. There followed hail and fire mixed with blood. These were thrown upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. One of the ways to think about these trumpets is to compare them to the plagues in Egypt. Remember the plagues in Egypt? How many plagues were there in Egypt, right? There were ten, right? And, and, and when did God deliver his people out of Egypt? Well, it was only after that tenth and final plague, right? But there were nine that came before that, that, that were smaller judgments, warning the Egyptians, you need to let God's people go. You need to repent. You need to turn. And each one got more and more and more and more severe until finally the final judgment fell of death. But there was no turning before that. (coughs) Bennington, Pharaoh just hardened his heart, right? Well, as we look at this one, this one is very reminiscent of the seventh plague of Egypt, where hail fell upon the earth. And it was hail accompanied by fire that fell. And that's what we see here. It was a partial judgment on Egypt in a couple ways. First of all, it wasn't the tenth plague yet. Right? It fell at the time of the barley harvest. Like, who cares, right? The barley harvest. Well, they didn't have Safeway, so it made a big deal to them. Right? It annihilated the barley harvest. But the wheat harvest was still underground, hadn't come up yet. And so the wheat was able to come up a couple months later and still provide a measure of food for the people of Egypt. In that way, it was a partial judgment. God didn't fully destroy the land with this though it was certainly a real judgment that fell well the same thing here this falls upon one third it says a third of the earth is burned up and a third of the trees now when we see these numbers in the book of revelation remember the book unlike most books in the bible this book is telling us it's symbolic we want to read the numbers at least our, our initial reaction should be, this is probably symbolic. And that's how this is. A third is to say, it's not the full yet. This is not the full and final judgment. This isn't the full burning up of the world. This is one third that's happening. A, a limitation has been put on. A merciful limitation by God. Partial judgment. Well, the first the first trumpet blows upon the land. The next one is upon the sea. And it says something like a great mountain falls into the sea, and the sea becomes blood. Again, one third of the sea becomes blood. Again, it is a limited judgment. This makes us think back to another of the Egyptian plagues when the strength of Egypt, the Nile, became the weakness of Egypt as the Nile turned to blood. And here, the strength of the seafaring nations. Where they go fishing and where they do their trade becomes their weakness as a third of the sea becomes blood. Now, perhaps you, like me, read this, don't think like a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea, and you think meteorite. Does not everyone think meteorite when they first read this? And I'm going to explain why I don't think this is a meteorite. I think we're on much safer ground. To interpret this as a heavenly judgment on the physical world in pictures, but not necessarily literally a meteor hitting the Earth. Okay, here's why I lean there. And by the way, um, <laughs> I started by saying I need to say what God says. So, so this is this is me saying, all right. There's Christians can see this different ways. We can still be friends if you think it's a meteor. I don't think it is because back up in verse 5 what happened? what's happening in heaven. I haven't talked about yet. Let's, let's just look at what's happening in heaven. The angel took the censer that's this thing that can hold fire from an altar took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is the angel at God's command throwing the fire of judgment down upon the earth. It is a heavenly picture of of what's going on so we're to interpret the trumpets as the result of this right this angel i i picture it like you know taking a shovel full of coals and just down it goes now heaven is a spiritual place these aren't real coals if, if you know what i'm saying they're real they're just spiritual they're not physical right so that's why then as we look the first three trumpets all have to do with fire coming down the first is hail and fire and then the second you have this great mountain burning like fire and then the third you have a star falling from heaven blazing like a torch so all these pictures of fire coming down upon the earth i take to be very clear absolutely this is god's judgment coming upon the earth absolutely it's his judgment coming on the physical world i would just say i'm not convinced it's in the physical way that you see it here. I think it is the fire of judgment raining down. All right. Well, as the first fell upon the earth, the second upon the salt water, the third falls upon the fresh waters in verse ten. Third angel blew his trumpet, great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, it fell on a third of the rivers and on the streams of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood. Many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Wormwood is a kind of wood that tastes exceptionally bitter. It's not poisonous, but nobody wants to eat it. I don't know why i would be eating wood to start with, but whatever. Okay, nobody wants to eat this stuff. But it turns out that this, these waters are poisoned. They're not just bitter, but they are poisoned. It causes people to die. This. Also heads back to Exodus. Do you remember when God's people left Exodus, left Egypt? They go out in the wilderness and they are thirsty. They come upon a place called Mara. And, and, and there's springs there and they're all excited. But the water is bitter and nobody can drink it. So God performs a miracle. And He makes it so that the water can be drunk, He makes it clean and, and fresh. And this, what we're reading here, is is the reversing of that miracle? So in the in the Old Testament, God blessed the water, made it sweet, so that His people wouldn't thirst. And here, God curses the waters and makes them bitter, so that His enemies will thirst. And now the fourth trumpet sounds. And once again, the earth is in rebellion against man. This time, it is a third of the sun, and the moon, and the stars, so that their light might be darkened. This brings us back to the plagues of Egypt, the ninth plague, right before death. Darkness falls upon the land of Egypt. And it's that darkness which figures death that makes you think of death is darkness. And so here, darkness falls. And those are the first four. And then we have this picture of an eagle crying out with a loud voice overhead. And this verse is so startling. the last verse of chapter 8, verse 13. It says, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. So far, so good. I, I agree. I have read chapter 8, and I agree with you, this is terrible. But that's not what he's saying. He doesn't say because of what just happened. He says, you think that's something? Wait for the next three. Woe because of those things which are about to come. And so we get to chapter 9. The fifth and sixth angel blowing their trumpet. Chapter 9 is the release of demonic attack upon the enemies of God. Two different pictures of it, but that's what's going on here. As As you read, you're going to see almost you're going to see what demons look like. You're going to see John's description of them and clearly these are demonic descriptions. So chapter 9 begins with with the fifth angel blowing his trumpet and, and John sees a star fall from heaven given the key to the bottomless pit. This is Satan. He opens the shaft of the bottomless pit and releases demonic cords to to rise upon the earth, and uh, from there, smoke rose like a great furnace, and the air was darkened with the smoke. This is this, is this terrifying picture of the demons of hell rising up out of the bottomless pit. They're compared then to locusts. Locusts are another Old Testament plague, right? just Cover the face of the earth, eat everything green leave the place desolate. But these are very strange locusts indeed. It says in verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. God, have mercy. This is a demonic assault upon the souls of men. I wonder if you've walked through real physical pain, and you might say torment. I wonder if you've walked through real spiritual agony, emotional torment. It's the second that's being pictured here. It's it's demonic oppression against the very soul, spirit, inner man of those in rebellion against God. And they have, verse 11, a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, he is called Apollyon. Those words are simply the word for destruction. This is Satan leading his host. Verse 12, the first woe has passed, the whole two woes are still to come. And now the sixth angel sounds his trumpet. And as he sounds the trumpet, he calls back these four angels, which had been told to wait. Don't pour out judgment until God's people are sealed. That was from last chapter. And now judgment is poured out. And again, it is the picture of a demonic horde. Verse 17. This and this is how I saw the horses in my vision, and those who rode on them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur. The heads of the horses were like lions' heads. There is just no way to interpret this literally, right? Like you see where we are. This this is symbolic language. Horses with with lions' heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouth. Dragon, lion, horses. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. The fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. The power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. Their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them, they win. With the fifth trumpet, when it sounded, the demonic horde came upon the earth for this five months, for this limited period of time. They tortured, them, but they were not permitted to kill them. But that band is lifted with the sixth trumpet. And the third of mankind falls before this. Let us for a moment point to what kind of master Satan is. God rewards his father. You were here last week, this great multitude worshiping him in heaven, God himself wiping away every tear, the lamb himself being a shepherd for his people. The Lord is a wonderful master. Places his own name on our foreheads to protect us from his judgment. Glory to God. And then there is Satan, who is called destruction. And God gives him the key to the bottomless pit. Satan goes down and opens it up and unleashes his hordes upon the earth. Now mark this closely. Mark this, you who are here, who have yet to turn to Christ, who think you are your own master. Mark this carefully. Satan unleashes the forces of hell. He unleashes them not against the enemies of his kingdom, but against the inhabitants of his kingdom. This is his reward for his people. This is his reward to those who are marked with his name on their forehead. He pours it out. And God limits him. No, you can't kill them in the fifth play. So he does everything up to that. And then in the sixth, the Lord expands the boundaries and says you may only kill a third. And so he kills every one of those thirds. What kind of a master is he? And so... Let all who hear turn and repent and turn to Christ and free yourself from this wicked and terrible master. So what is the result of all this? This judgment upon judgment upon judgment, trumpet after trumpet, plague after plague. Surely after all of this there will be repentance. Surely after all of this. People will turn to God. Surely after all of this, they will stop their rebellion against the Lord and cease to persecute the church and cease to worship idols. But no. First one. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons. They are worshiping the once torment. idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts if you've read through the exodus plague after plague after plague after plague every one of them ends the same way and pharaoh hardened his heart And he would not let God's people go. And here, that's being enacted yet again. Before that tenth and final judgment, each judgment simply meant to warn, serves only to harden hearts, make people shake their fists yet louder, yet harder against God. Pattern of judgment the pouring of judgment. Number three, finally, the purpose of judgment. Now, the purpose of judgment, I'm going to limit to this chap- these chapters in front of us. There's a lot that could be said about the purposes of God in judgment, but there are two that stand out, one we've covered, and that is that these judgments serve as warnings to repent. they are trumpets blasting out. people would turn and repent while there's still time while the hourglass is not empty, while the day still lasts before the final judgment to turn and repent so yes these are warnings but they serve another purpose as well and this one I'm going to start with a a news story from the week, because <clears throat> I need to help you get there so we can see this together. I actually watched this news story from a uh, young lady named yongmi Park. She is North Korean, living now in South Korea. She escaped about 10 years ago with her mom, and having been trafficked and raped and abused, she finally made her way to freedom. And now she does kind of a a weekly thing where she just shines the light back on that dark and terrible kingdom in North Korea. This week, she talked about a two-year-old child. You might have heard this. It made the big news stations as well. International news. The two-year-old child was sentenced to one of their political prison camps. Um, If you're unfamiliar, you should be familiar. Yon Park would, would simply say, you want to know what those are? Think Auschwitz. That is what they are. People go in, they never come out. That's the point. They are tortured and worked until they die. Why was a two-year-old sent there? Because her parents had a Bible. so mom and dad and child are there right now. And apart from a miraculous work of God, they will end their days serving the Lord there under that oppression. I was studying this passage and I read and I watched this and I just began to weep. And then she said that there are about 120,000 people in those prison camps. She is not a believer. She said of those 120,000, at least 70,000 are Christian. What? They're the biggest enemies of the state because the state worships the Kims, the, 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 the dictators. And Christians refuse they are the worst enemies to the state, and they are treated in the worst way. May God rescue his people. And strengthen them. May God bring his people out of Egypt by his strong and mighty hand. Now, why in the world do I share that? Wasn't this heavy enough? (laughs) The reality is that most of us in North America are not facing anything like that right now. And the reality is, that we can be tempted to downplay, or neglect, or minimize, or forget that this is the normal experience of the church worldwide. She cries out to God, and her groans reach to heaven, and her martyrs line up at the gates, to be received by the Lord. The last time we were looking at judgments back in chapter 6. There were the four horsemen of the apocalypse sent out. And then the fifth seal was opened. And we saw the martyrs beneath the throne. And what are they doing? They're praying and they're crying out to the Lord. They're saying, how long, O sovereign one? How long until you act to redeem our people and take vengeance on those who are hurting your people? How long, O Lord, will it be? The Lord is not deaf to those cries of his people. Everything we just read in chapter 8 and 9 is a response of God to the prayers of his people. Let this sink in, because I feel like we are on extremely holy ground. All the judgment we just saw. We asked, what's the purpose of judgment? All of this that we just saw is a direct response from God to the cries of His suffering people. I tell you that, and I'm going to show you that as we read the part we haven't read yet, or haven't looked at yet, at the top of chapter 8. This is how the whole thing gets started. This is how all seven trumpets get moving. Verse 1, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven, for a half an hour. Listen, there's no silence in heaven ever since John got there. this is a loud place, full of worship, full of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And now, silence in heaven. Why? Why silence? Verse 2, Then the seven angels who stand before God, seven trumpets were given to them. Okay, they're getting ready to sound the trumpets. But then, look, verse 3. Another angel came stood at the altar with a golden censer. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it upon the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. The prayers of the saints arise before the throne. Heaven is silent. Why? So that the prayers of the saints can be heard. They arise as incense before God. God acts in response to those prayers. And fire rains down upon God's death. The fire of judgment is thrown down in response to prayer. Why did his own sound? They are an answer to prayer. Even now God hears the cries of his people. Even now God listens to the voice of his people. And so now we are ready to hear the call of this passage, which I said at the beginning. Let me remind, remind you. This is a call to endurance. Amen. There's a lot here doesn't sound right real good. It's a call to endurance. It is a call to prayer-filled endurance. Because all of this is under the control of a sovereign one on the throne. And he answers prayer. He responds to prayer. Revelation 8 reveals something startling. God responds to the prayers of his people. We kind of know that, and we kind of don't. I think if we knew that, we would have much more active prayer life. and God use this towards that in. God is, friends, He is fully sovereign. His actions are His own. His timing is His own. But our sovereign God has determined that He will be a responsive sovereign. That He will act in response to the prayers of His people. That's that's what He's determined to do. And so, wow. And so we find that it is the suffering church on earth. The one that looks so weak. The one that's under the heel of the dictators that is heard in heaven. Their cries are ignored here. But heaven is silent. They hear not. And God answers them. The days of dictators who oppress God's people are quite fearfully numbered. For the Lord does not give a deaf ear to the cries of His people. The gospel has enemies, the church has enemies, the Lord has enemies, and what we see here is that his enemies eventually fall before him. They fall before him and and they fall before him in response to prayer. I'm blown away by this. God will overthrow the enemies of the gospel in response to the prayers of his people. Period. Period. That, that's what this, that's what this shows us. God will overthrow the enemies of the gospel in response to the prayers of his people. This is a call to prayer for endurance, so let us pray, church. Let's be a praying people. If you're suffering. If you're struggling, if you're distraught, take your prayers to the Lord. If you're discouraged, if you're disheartened, if you're beginning the Kinds of persecution that we may find here, then take your prayers to the Lord and listen dear brother, dear sister. If you instead find yourself asleep on the couch, iPhone in hand, popcorn filling your mouth, would you lay it down and stand up and fight and take your prayers to the Lord? Because the Lord answers them. He answers His prayers. Our prayers Listen, does the Lord answer the prayers of His people by pouring out judgment on His enemies? And will He not answer the prayers of His people to pour out blessings on His people? To give you endurance where you need it and health where you're weak and strength to follow Him and fresh filling of the Holy Spirit for another day. Will He do all of Revelation 8 and 9 in response to the prayers of his people, but ignore your prayer that you faithfully offer to him. No, he will not. Heaven is silent so that our prayers may be heard. So, so let's pray. So let's be a prayerful people. The God of history. The God of judgment. The God of the Book of Revelation listens when you pray. He responds. He acts. Tomorrow, the Bolivia mission team that we're sending out—close, right here in the room i going to take a day to fast and pray. That the Lord would meet them on their trip. Join me. You to join. Because the Lord answers prayer. So, church, as we face all that there is to face in this world, let's endure trusting in our God and let's endure prayerfully trusting in our God. May it be that when that angel stands before the throne and, and lifts the incense of prayer before God, may it be that prayers from this small church in this little corner of Spotsylvania would be mingled with the prayers and the saints from all over the world and would be a sweet aroma to our God. Worship team, come on. Up. And let's pray. Lord, where we have been Fearless, forgive us. Well, we have thought small thoughts of you. Forgive us. You are a great and mighty God. You are sovereign over this. Lord, we have dabbled in sin, forgive us. Lord, help us live unto you. Lord, fill us afresh with your spirit that we may follow after you. Thank you that you have sealed us in the name of Christ and that you will keep us until the end. We pray for your work in us that we would be a more prayerful people and through us that your are ministers here for as long as you have us here. In your name we pray. Amen.